Welcome to the Not Old Yet podcast, where we explore the subject of aging from a fresh new perspective. Each week, you will learn how to look, feel, and be youthful, no matter your age or stage of life. Tune in each episode to hear words of wisdom, stories of hope, and keeping it real advice from your host, Elizabeth Vanderveer. We got a beautiful story. Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Vanderveer, your host of the Not Old Yet Global Podcast. And I'm here today with my good friend and brand ambassador, Cindy Taylor. Hi, Cindy. Hello. How are you? I'm doing very well. Great. Well, today we're going to talk about digital and cell phones and communication and some troubling trends that I know everyone has seen. But Cindy and I are uh, particularly bothered about it because of what we think the natural consequence is going to be. And I believe we're already seeing that consequence. So Cindy, take it away. Tell us what you've observed that is troubling you. What I've observed really is at both ends of the age spectrum regarding adulthood. And uh, when I go into restaurants, it's very troubling to look across a sea of diners and see so many of them sitting with another person at the same table. And yet both of them are connected and glued to their phone. Mm -hmm. And they're involved, they're engaged with what is going on on the phone. The food comes, they still don't even connect with each other. They start eating. And again, it's a singular thing. They could very well have been there all alone. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just obviously in restaurants, but you see this more and more. And at the other end of the spectrum, we've got people in their some 60s, I would say, 70s, 80s, 90s, that are virtual shut-ins. And that's a concern too. And so, you know, I wonder how it is that we can reverse these things and We also know, too, that in certain parts of the world, centenarians are living longer because mostly of their social interactions, certainly their diet and their physical activity have something to do with that. But it's that they see a neighbor or someone they haven't seen for a long time, and there's always that, hello, good morning, how are you, this type of interaction. And that's what I'm noticing less and less of with so many people. Well, you forgot to mention that when the food gets served, they photograph it, and then they eat it and go back to their phone. It's a troubling trend, but I've seen it too. It's become commonplace to the point that it's almost shocking when you find a couple or a group of people actually communicating at a table and not having their heads buried in the phone. The phone and the portable computer, which is basically what it is, whether it's on your watch or it's um, in your hand, I think is a great tool if you're using it on the fly to look up information, get directions, check facts. I mean, it can be so great. But if you think about it, it's kind of like lugging a television around with you, a big old, you know, 50 style television and saying, 
oh, do you mind if I bring this with me to the table? <laughs> do you mind if I bring it to the bed? You know, I mean, we're carrying these things everywhere and interacting with them. One thing rings and dings and beeps, and we all know those beeps and dings and rings are all meant to get our attention. So it interrupts whatever flow we're in, whatever conversation we're in. But I think the reason why I'm concerned, and you shared with me that you're concerned, is because of the devastating outcomes that happen when we lose that connection physically to a 3D human. They've shown that it's not the same. It's not the worst, but it's not the same to watch a video. For example, it's my understanding that you couldn't put an infant in front of a 2D television or an iPad and show that infant pictures of humans and doing things and have that child feel nurtured. It doesn't come through the device. You know, there's no way that this can substitute, this phone or whatever, the device du jour can substitute for human touch. Mm -hmm. There are fields of energy around our body. There's five fields that go from the innermost field, which is right next to our skin, which is our physical field. And then five fields, five layers go out that impact others. I heard this morning that just living our DNA and our vibration is being sent out into the universe forever. These are waves that never go away. So imagine if we are next to someone, we are combining the energy fields. So for us to get all of our energy from a phone or a device, in my opinion, is very dangerous. One thing, though, that you did mention, and I'd love your perspective on this, Cindy, is the older set and the original millennial is what they like to be called. How can we use our devices to give a little solace to the isolation and the loneliness that occurs? Because it's very real. You're right on with that. And then we put everybody into groups, group homes full of old dying people. How much fun is that? So how do you think we could actually use technology in the older set? Well, through education, classes, sharing. And you know, it'd be a wonderful thing too, to take something like the two millennials and then connect them so that one teaches the other and the other teaches them a little bit more about the interaction that they've had throughout their life. And so it's, it's a blend, if you will. But... It helps with, I think, the 70, 80, 90-year-olds to understand about the technology around and, and, and how its advancements have brought and enriched our lives in certain areas, not to be abused, which I think the other end of the age spectrum is probably have gone into, but it allows them the opportunity to indeed maybe connect with the grandchildren that live across the country right. so that they can have FaceTime right. or you know they can Skype or something like that. And it also allows them to understand the different technology out there to be able to help themselves, help themselves in mapping technologies, weather technology, um, getting them to and from one place when needed, certainly getting medical attention on the fly. And 
as well as connecting with others in their community. You know, it may just be six blocks away, but maybe because of physical ailments or whatever, that six blocks could be six states away. And so by able to learning more to learn more about the technology, being able to connect with that person that's six blocks away, and hey, let's have a walk. Let's meet halfway. I'll walk three blocks, you walk three blocks. Let's go for a tea or coffee or something like that. And I know that there's an awful lot of people in that age category that are floundering and there's no need to. And and I know there's a lot of classes. I don't think there's enough going around. And for many, it's a difficult thing to get from point A to B to get that. Yeah. And so it would be nice to, to have the two generations merge and do a share. Yes. And I think one of the things that you highlight so well is that there's some basics to technology that every citizen needs to know how to use. Mm -hmm. Map programs, weather programs, some of the uh, messaging programs, you know, pick one, but you've mentioned several and they're all good. I think what is overwhelming to people is they don't know where to start. I mean, literally, they don't know where to start. My mom is, of course, on Facebook. I showed her Instagram, and she was like, a whole new world opened up to her. She was like, giddy. But she didn't have any idea that Instagram existed or that what she could do with it. But I was recently with an older couple, and they were touring the city, and they had paper maps. You know, they were using paper maps to get in their car. And I was like, why? How? And they're like, oh, we love going to AAA and getting our map triptychs or whatever, you know? And I was like, great. You're, but although I will tell you, living in LA, the signals sometimes are so bad that you're probably better off with paper because I can drive for blocks in downtown LA and the signal won't work. But regardless... The fact that they were using paper and going to AAA to do this, at that level, it better be because they love it, not because they don't know how to pull up the map program on their phone. I find the same thing with like getting people on the phone among generations, you know, learning how to use FaceTime or Facebook or whatever it is. There's no classes. We, I mean, there is if you get your ass to the Apple store, great. But there needs to be something simplified so that the, think about it as a basic car. What you need in a basic car are tires and seats and a steering wheel and an engine and a transmission. And think of those things as your device. And in that device, everybody's got to know how to use the basics. Otherwise, you just get left behind in all the nuances. Like if you don't know how to use an app, it's not going to matter if it's Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever. So I think that there's just no one looking at this from the perspective of who's using it. And the developers are the young guns. They're the other millennials that are, you know, the code writers and the people that are probably surveying people in their teens, 20s, and 30s to find out what they want. But, you know, we've got to get these devices being used. Another thing I think that the topic should come up about how I think they really could help older people that are isolated. But 
you had a really interesting point. Now, I've commented in the past that I've read 60% less dating is occurring in teenage years. Mm -hmm. And you had another statistic that was frightening about what's happening as a result of doing this and burying our head in our phones all day. What was your learning? Well, and that was that many of those in their 20s and 30s that have been attached to technologies for so long and had a basically singular life are claiming to be asexual. And the numbers of those who are claiming, again, to be asexual have gone from very, very few to quite a substantial amount. And I don't have the numbers, but it's something that I've heard several claiming that, oh, I'm asexual. You know, it's wow. just, it doesn't, I can take it, I can leave, it doesn't matter. And at the same time, their partner in life is the phone in their hand. And that's what's staggering to me. I just learned this morning on a TED Talk that 50% of all of the data bits that go through the internet are porn. <laughs> so oh, maybe that's why we're asexual, because we're all sitting at home with our porn on our devices. I'm not joking. I mean, what? and that's on the, the, the light web. You know, that's not on the dark web, apparently. I. I can't, I can believe it, but it's shocking. But your point actually has massive sociologic implications. If people are asexual, then we are not going to reproduce already. No. I looked this up for another podcast, but never mentioned it. And I may butcher it. I think it was 3 million deaths a year in the U.S. and 2 million births. I may have that backwards, but regardless, it looked to me like it was almost even Stephen. It was close. And, you know, that's a neutral growth almost, or if it's a declining, I apologize if I misspoke, but it's one or the other. They're, they're not that far off. Right. So as a country, we are not booming in population. Now you can say whatever you want to about that concept of a you know, increasing our population. But regardless, it does have implications. If people aren't dating and they're not cohabitating and they're just going home to their own limited existence, getting their news from one or two sources, spending their time obsessed with, you know, the reality television stars, worrying about their likes and their not likes and their comments and da da da, you know. And they're not using it necessarily to gain more information and to learn something new, to mm -hmm. elevate their lives and existence. Mm -hmm. And then at the other end, the people that really could benefit as well, they're not getting ministered to, and they're missing out on all the benefits of this technology. Right, right. It's very, it's very troubling, I guess, is what I would say. So I know that, uh, like AAA, you mentioned AAA. AAA and AARP, uh, I'm trying to think of others right now. It's just not jumping off the page. But I know that they offer classes. And I, probably some of your larger libraries, I'm going to guess, would offer them too. But they're few and far between. And uh, they're certainly not reaching the mass. Uh, just a, a really a very, very small portion, I'm thinking. And you mentioned about the, the couple with the street map, the paper map. Mm 
and that they got at AAA. And so if they went into a AAA, I would think that it would behoove all concerned if that person were handing them that map, I'm assuming is probably free, but at the same time saying, you know, we have apps for that, or we have classes for that, or let me show you real quickly. And that would be a gem right there if they could just take maybe five or 10 minutes to say, hey, you know, you can download this on your phone and therefore help you avoid the construction zones that you need to avoid that aren't going to be on that map and you can take an alternate route or if there's an accident and the traffic is blocked or whatever. And that's one way to dip the toe into the pool water, so to speak. Right. Very good point. And enabling someone that's older to learn how to use FaceTime or some way to communicate with their family member through video is going to be so enriching compared to just the telephone. And, you know, if you think about it from an evolution point of view of technology, you know, the telephone on its own in this podcast in particular is just one sense that we are stimulating. But when there's a video, we have several senses and including our vision, which really makes a difference in our interpretation of things. Because so much, I think DJ Wilson on another podcast said that 80% of our communication is nonverbal. And so that's another reason why being in person with people is so important because so much gets communicated, holding their hand, sharing the energetic field with each other. They've done studies to show that changing the energetic field around people changes their state. You can elevate someone just by being with them. You can also take them down just by being with them. I'm sure you've experienced it, Cindy, when you're with people that bring your energy down versus, which brings me to my next point about technology, that just because it's 2D people, little screen does not mean it's harmless. What you consume through this device can make or break your life. So if you are consuming negative, violent, horrible content, you will have a negative, violent, horrible experience. That is the truth. They can hypnotize you through the phone. It doesn't need to be in person to be assimilated into your body. Same goes for positivity. You can get positive vibes, change your vibration through what you consume on this device. So it's a double whammy for the negative. If you're sitting there with another human being and you both have your faces in your phones and you're consuming something negative, that's super duper bad. They've also shown that you can transmit viruses through the computer with certain vibrations and of course, specialized techniques. But my point is from country to country, continent to continent, They can do this. So whatever comes through your device is not benign. It is vitally 
critical to your survival because we are changing as a species into a digital species. And so everything you consume on here is just as if you were in the person with someone else. It can affect you that greatly. So what do you think we should do? Or do you have any advice on, or do you have any comments on that first and then advice on how we can kind of switch this paradigm and turn it to our advantage? Well, I know that as technology is moving forward, we know that there are bots. There are bots on... Uh, so explain what a bot is for anyone that doesn't know. <laughs> well, you could probably explain that better yourself. But if someone has sent you something and there is a cryptic box on there that you click on that say that you are not a bot, that says that you are an individual that can decipher and decide and you have a thought process that is different from an automatic machinery that is programmed to be able to intercept, if you will. So um, a bot is, in my opinion, a digital being and it, well, has, well put. it yeah. has limited capabilities, but not, not necessarily. I actually just had a really odd experience with a chat box and the person at the other end was so what's the word I'm looking for awkward that I finally wrote are you a bot <laughs> and she got so offended she said no I'm a human and I was like well maybe I'd prefer a bot because <laughs> it was so difficult to have this conversation with her so that brings up a scary point though, which is that we think they have limited knowledge and limited capabilities, but that's actually changing, but yes. it's all in the programming. So right. just like with us in our programming, it's all in the programming, but this was a real human and we did make it through, but bots are for anyone that still doesn't know, it's an interaction on the internet or digital of some sort that makes it seem like it's a human. And most often it's like a chat box or I don't know if we've gotten to voice or anything like that yet. I don't think so. Okay. So bots. Yes. How you are on the subject of bots. Right. So, um, and that leads us to robotics. I recently saw a comedian that was talking about robots, robots cloning human beings. I don't mean a general human being, but you know, certainly they can do that as well. But you can have a robot created in your exact likeness and they speak and they respond and they blink and their lips move. And so to prove her point, she brought out a robot that looked exactly like her and she interacted with her. And so as she was explaining, this is designed to become a helpmate, a partner in every imaginable way that comes to mind right now. And she says, you know, so what are we to do as humans moving forward? Are we being replaced or is this a good thing being in addition to? Well, like anything else, you know, there's the good side and the bad side, and certainly things can be abused. But just setting that aside, are we not becoming somewhat robotic 
in the fact that we are connected to technology to the point where we are not interacting with the person that's sitting right across from the table or in the exact same room as we are. How about getting to the degree that we all do where if we lose our phone, we freak out. If we have to put it aside for a few hours or a day, you would think life was going to end. And you get this anxiety that you can't live without that thing. And then, like you said, you do crazy stuff like Mm -hmm. ignore the people in front of you and put your head in your device. Another lady on another TED Talk that I watched yesterday, but it just hit me hard because it totally rung home is the fact that we're so busy recording everything with photos and videos that we're not enjoying it in the moment. I shared on another podcast that I went to Sedona and took a helicopter ride all over the region, and I videotaped most of it, and I didn't enjoy the trip like I could have. And then the worst part is I lost that phone and I hadn't downloaded it. (laughs) So I didn't have it up in my memory. And I didn't have it on the phone anymore. So I got equally screwed. You know, it's like, so you cannot, like, you cannot replace the real thing for the digital. Now, on that same note, I'm just going to give a shout out for Instagram and Facebook because the only photos I have from that phone now that is lost are on those two social media platforms, which is cool that those are saved. I love that. But the technology in and of itself can get in the way of life. And I think that we've gotten there. I'm going to tell you another anecdote that just really hit home for me in a really major way. A few years ago, one of my children posted one of their baby photos on his social media. And It was my favorite photo of his entire childhood. Adorable. He puts it out there and within a matter of seconds, he didn't get the right number of likes. So he took it down and his comment to me turned to me as I was driving and he said, that was a stupid photo. And I just got it. In that moment, I got the whole picture, which is that we have created this world of narcissism where you are so concerned with what other people think about you that you negate your own experience. Right. Like, how could it possibly be a bad picture of you as an adorable little child in your joy moment? But because other people, many of whom you may not know that well, didn't respond. You know what I mean? I think we're all just seeking this ridiculous connection and ignoring the people right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets to the point now where people walk and they're on their, watching their phones. You literally can't go from an airport to the next destination without binge watching video after video after video and being entertained the whole time. It's all about entertainment now, don't you think? I do. But it's not education. It's just entertainment for the sake of entertainment. And it's, it's shallow. It's narcissistic. It's empty. It hurts. And you know what? I was just recently really focusing on our social media campaign for this endeavor. Not old yet. Mm -hmm. 
And then I started to get back into the typical routine of being happy when the likes go up, being sad when they go down, being happy when we get comments, being sad when we don't, and checking four or five different digital platforms every hour on the hour, whether I needed to or not. And finally, I had a really good friend and a co-artist in life like you say to me, Elizabeth, you do your art for the art's sake. Don't even pay attention to what anyone thinks, what anyone wants, what anyone says in return. And I said, well, that's interesting. First of all, God love you if you can do that, right? As an artist, is never worry about what other people think. But secondly, these platforms and a lot of digital media is set up so that you have that dynamic of, do they like me? Do they like my art? Do they like my life? Who cares? <laughs> That's one of the things that has bothered me ever since I started to engage in social media way back, way back. And the amount of likes or not didn't bother me one way or the other. And I rarely hit like on anything because there's a point where you feel almost a pressure to have to like everything just because they are a friend on Facebook, for example. And nine times out of 10, you've never met that person. And so that can take a huge chunk out of your day of actually interacting with another human being on a one-to-one -one level. But amen to the other extreme, I've seen many times where I will go in collaboration with a couple of other artists about a specific project. And, and it's something that I feel we could probably turn into a pretty successful commercial endeavor. And yet one of them said, no, 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 I would want to put it on like, and I'm just going to use Facebook for, for the sake of getting through the conversation because I want my friends to, to hit like. And, it, you know, and that jarred me because they said, I don't, I don't do what I do for an instantaneous like. It means nothing in my world and it means nothing to my creative process. It doesn't negate what I do if I only have a hundred likes and not a thousand likes. And in reverse, it doesn't change or it doesn't take my art in that direction only because, oh, they really like that one a lot more than they like this one. Right. And so it brings about a false sense of security because more than likely they're, they're hitting like only because it's a robotic gesture that they've come to do. That is scary. I have never heard it put that way, Cindy. And it actually makes a lot of sense to me, but it's propagating the falsehood of the likes. And I had heard that Instagram was getting rid of likes. I don't know if that's true, but likes just for the sake of likes. And like you said, you do feel pressure to like your friend's stuff, even if it's crap. The other thing that Facebook is now doing and Instagram, I think, but certainly Facebook is saying to me on my phone, it serves me a little pop-up. Hey, your friends haven't heard from you in a while. Do you want to post something? Just like, leave me alone. Since when do I need prompting? But I can't tell you how much what you said resonates with me. You do it for you. 
you do your art for you. And if you are posting stuff for any other reason than just for you, regardless of who likes it, then you're going to be caught in that web of elated when it goes well and depressed when it doesn't. And even if it's not that wide of a swing, but it's just up and down, up and down, you're like on a seesaw and it just doesn't feel good. So I think more important than pointing out that people shouldn't be doing this at the dinner table at a restaurant is really what are they doing on the phone? Are they worshiping the uh, reality stars that are putting, you know, 20 carats of diamonds on their one-year-olds? Are they, what are they doing? Are they watching MMA, fighting, you know, violent, horrible stuff? Are they, what are they doing on their phone and consuming that is so important? I get that it's entertaining, but you know why they do it? Because it's easy. It's harder to make a conversation. It's harder to pay attention to the person in front of you than it is to just check out. And I'm going to go on record and say the reason why you can check out is because you're disassociating. You're just letting your mind wander with this device and you don't have to engage your mouth or you're engaging your ears and your eyes. But spoken word and communication in person and speaking is irreplaceable. Well, and there's also touch. We know that with orphans in, in Eastern Europe, the decades, decades ago, that were left after war and devastation, were put in groups or large, large facilities. And, you know, they would be placed in cribs and left there because there wasn't enough adults to be able to go around and pick them up and hold them and nurture that which we were, that we take as innate ability because, you know, they had that connection with the mother in the womb. And then shortly thereafter, there's, there's nothing, there's this void. And then decades later, they noticed that these were the people that were floundering. They couldn't connect. They had difficulty connecting, they had difficult talking, speaking, interacting, touching, certainly. And so I know that from my own personal experience, when there has come a time where I hadn't been around some for, for a long time, I felt like I was withdrawing. I felt like I was becoming a shell of myself. And so when I came out of that, and I'm speaking specifically about after my husband passed away and in, I was going through this grieving process, but I've come to find that if I haven't connected with someone in a while, I may just be in their area and call them up and say, hey, you home? Okay, if I stop by. And I did this just the other day with a friend I hadn't seen in a few months at least. And they've been working, going to work, driving quite a ways. It's, it's quite a commute. Going home and then just eating something, crashing, getting up and doing the same old, same old. Uh, she's single. She hadn't been dating all that time. And I popped in and I saw her. And there was this look on her face where it was just like, all of a sudden she just relaxed and there was this ease that came about her face. And I just took my arms and wrapped them around her 
and then just held her close to me. And I could feel her sink into me. And then slowly her arms came up around my back and we just held each other for a long time. And I stroked her hair and pulled back and I said, you look so beautiful. And she goes, oh, I'm so tired. I feel like such a mess, but it was a wonderful visit. You know, I reached out, I held her hand. We talked face to face closely about real things that matter. And it wasn't a long visit, but it was an important visit. That's awesome. And she was less than half your age. She's about 35. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, what an incredible, about half your age, an incredible story about intergenerational relationships too. Mm. And it's so important to have those, you know, just the more we surround ourselves with like beings, meaning just our age, just our stage, et cetera, the more limited our worldview becomes. Right. You brought up a really interesting point about um, children and digital. When I was in 2014, I think it was, I went to a Women's Wear Daily digital conference in New York, and they showed a picture of a one-year-old with an iPad, and not an iPad, excuse me, a uh, Vogue magazine open on her lap in front of her. And she was trying to swipe it and touch it the way you would an iPad. And she was one years old. And wow. this ages ago. I mean, five years is like a lifetime. So my concern is that and I don't have children this age, and my children don't have children yet, thank God. And so I don't know how young ones are being raised today, but if you're, I know that we were cautioned against too much television for our children, mm-hmm. and we limited it. And that was when the content was safe. It was cartoons. They weren't going to get porn, you know, stuff like that. So nowadays, what if... They're really, the parents today are putting these devices in their baby's hands at such an early age. And are they substituting that device now that they can pull up content whenever they want for human interaction? But the bigger problem, well, a big problem in that as well, is that this device subjugates imagination. So if you think about a child put in front of the television or a computer, iPad, whatever, Mm. they don't have to think about anything. But when we were kids, we, you know, the old joke, I had to walk five miles to school in the snow, all that. Well, that, you know, the more we talk about that kind of BS, the more credibility we lose. The real difference is when we were kids, we were sent outside to play. Now, I don't really care if you go out and play in a dark woods or you go out and play in your backyard that's got a chain link fence. Going outside and playing and having to use your imagination, building that fort, creating that scene, you know, we all did it. But that creativity is what is supplanted in the digital sphere and you're just served information. You don't have to figure anything out. In fact, you start to get upset if you can't figure it out because it's all displayed out there for you. So I just think that sociologically, we're just, um, you said it, we're turning into robots. We are turning into robots. 
because we're just consuming digital information, we're communicating less, we're thinking less, except to the degree that we care only what other people care about or what they tell us to care about, mm -hmm. or we care about what they think about us. Mm -hmm. Nobody's teaching young people to stand tall, to be confident in themselves without this thing. And no right. one's teaching them how to perceive and look around them and understand that this is all just a big game. You're an actor in your life, so quit watching all the other actors. Do you know there's a way to be able to take that that has become, it's a dependency. And there's a way to take that, I think, from those who are teens and 20s, and, and I would even certainly group a good percentage of 30s in as well. And with the knowledge they've gained and the comfort that they've gained, if, and this is, I think, a nice segue into it, reach out to their grandparents' age, for example, and their grandparents' uh, neighbors or friends, and you know, bring them all in together and sit down and pick up a device and say, okay, this has this and this and this capability. And I'll bet everyone here that knows how to use this is using it this way only. But we can also branch out. It can help us with this and this. And then show them. Explain how it is that it works, what they can do with it. Show them how to work that so that they can evolve and use it to their best advantage. And at the same time, the younger set has now communicated verbally and physically with other like humans that are learning something from them. So it's really kind of a win-win. It gets the millennial out of the house and away from just this to where they have to talk. They use the experience they have with the other millennial who is not using it to their best advantage. And I think if, you know, there's some way that something like this could start that quite possibly it could be carried across the country. It could be like a movement, if you will. I love that idea because you get the intergenerational learning and obviously the younger set is going to teach the apps that they like and that they use. So then mm -hmm. they can continue to communicate. That's a wonderful idea. Great idea, Cindy. Um, getting it in process might be another might be another thing. I had heard that 40% of all iPad purchases are made by people over 65. Really? So that's a pretty large demo yeah. of iPad users. I'm a big fan of the iPad. I wish they were affordable so we could get them in the hands of everyone that's older. The apps, the interface, the sleekness, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful product. It's just most people can't afford it, mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure there's used ones and stuff. But you still have to pay for the internet, which is another another topic, huh, another, day. another day. But I love your idea of intergenerational learning and any other thoughts about like how to, let's just say you're a mom and you've got three kids and a husband and everybody's got their phones and you want to get them to the dinner table mm -hmm. and maybe even have a real conversation. Any mm -hmm. thoughts on 
Oh, absolutely. With absolutely. I can remember times, you know, I'm, I'm a mom and I can remember times that, you know, they were maybe stuck in front of the television or something like that, or even playing games. And, you know, it's uh, dinner in five, time to clean up, get ready, go wash. And uh, five minutes, mom. No, dinner's being served in five minutes. And you got three. Wind it up, then go wash. And, you know, the, the thing was, was no, the television doesn't stay on during dinner time. And so this became a time to debrief. You know, we talk about our day. We talk about what went on at school, what went on at work. I saw the reaction there. A friend said to me, the opener you could have with your kids at the dinner table is, tell me what you learned today. It's wonderful. Because it's wonderful. Tell me what was great, because maybe it wasn't great. Tell me what was bad. You don't want to hear that. But tell me what you learned today. Yes. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So how, how would you suggest that they don't bring their phones to the table? You know, it's as simple as maybe getting a basket and say, all right, it's uh, dinner time. All technology goes in the basket. And then we head to the dinner table. And, you know, when dinner is done and everybody picks up their dishes, it goes into the kitchen, everybody, you know, does their part. Phones can go back or laptops or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing that's going to be earth shattering to have to put it down for a half an hour, 45 minutes or something like that. And, you know, they might learn something as a whole. Everyone might learn something. Certainly, I think they would learn something from each other. Just what's, what what are you feeling today? How how has your day been? And, you know, tell me something exciting that happened today. Or like you said, you know, what- Or tell me something. Tell me something I don't know. I used to say that to yes, my Yes, yes. And, like, you know, that can come a time where it's enjoyed. It's just like when you, you read a story to a young child. Maybe at first they don't get it, mostly because they may be too young. But it doesn't take long before they love that time with them. They love the interaction. And then they get to know the story. And mark my word, as parents, we've all been there, where you might have had a really exhausting day and you just want to hit the sheets yourself. And so you decide, "Mm, I'm going to skip over this part and the child will pick you up. And no, you left out this part. It's so true. Exactly. And so they look forward to that too. And, you know, there's... Well, Cindy, along with with sitting down even with older kids, you know, 13, 15 year olds and and reading an exciting story, something that helps them bring it down a notch. It has nothing to do with technology. And then they go to sleep. Yeah. So what you just said is brilliant. And it is actually backed by scientific fact that we are biologically made to reject new things novel things and we are taught to like familiarity Hmm. and so when a child notices that you've left out a few words then that's literally them understanding something unfamiliar happened the familiar wasn't there Mm -hmm. and so that's super duper important to know that 
familiar happens really quickly once your mindset shifts. So in the case of putting all of your phones in the basket, it's going to be uncomfortable. My thought was a basket as well. I thought that was a great idea. And then you said it. So it's going to be uncomfortable. But as soon as you do it a few times, it will become the comfort, the new comfort level. And the person with the phone at the table that sneaks it in or whatever, they'll become the outlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, it takes some kahunas to tell your children that they got to put the phones aside. It's hard for me to put the phone aside. Even if I don't do anything with it, I carry that damn thing around with me as though it were attached to my hip or implanted in my neck. Any parting thoughts? Uh, Reach out. Touch somebody today connect, say hello, touch them, okay. their hand, wave, smile. We're, we're going to do another show and just use all those old uh, marketing signs, all those platitudes and, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, reach out and touch someone. That's great. No, you're absolutely right. Touch is one of the most important things we can do as humans. Um, we touch our animals all the time. We know they like to be petted. Well, guess what? Humans like to be petted too. Or and even just look up from your devices and say good morning to someone. Well, I was saying I was at Starbucks a couple of weeks ago in Beverly Hills and I locked eyes with a guy and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, it was almost like it was too much because how often do we look at people in the eyes anymore? We don't look at anybody. We've all got our hands in our phones. Anyways, well, it's been great having you here, Cindy. Thanks for a great conversation. And if you enjoyed this, please hit the like button and feel free to subscribe. We'd love your comments as well. I'm Elizabeth from Not Old Yet Global with Cindy, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Cindy. Bye. Thank you. Bye. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come.